Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast, hosted by Alison Humphreys. The Recruitment Leadership Podcast is here to help those in the recruitment industry gain awareness and understanding on the hot topics faced by those in the business of hiring people. In each episode, Alison Humphreys is joined by a fellow expert to offer professional knowledge, insight and advice on the biggest subjects affecting recruitment businesses. It's the podcast to listen to for recruitment business frontrunners seeking expert information from industry-leading advisors. Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Hello and welcome to Season 3 of the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Um, Thanks for joining us. I'm Alison Humphreys of Recruitment Leadership, which is a business uh, working with owners and directors of recruitment agencies um, to help them achieve their aims, whether that's growth or a business event or just working more sanely. Um, I'm delighted to be joined today by Ryan McCabe. Ryan is the CEO of Odro. And for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with the Odro brand, um, Odro has been a very successful, fast-growing video interviewing platform used by lots of my clients, um, amongst others. So, Ryan, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, Ryan, there's an interesting story behind how uh, Odro's grown and how it became so focused on the recruitment market. Could you just give us a summary of that? Uh, yeah, sure. So, um, most people think I started Odro, but I didn't. Um, didn't actually found the business. So my business partner, Bill Schooler, founded the company. Um, to go back to where I, I met Bill whilst I was running a recruitment agency. We weren't doing very well. We were one of the agencies that everyone now hates. I just didn't know that at the time. It was throwing off mud at the wall, make sure something sticks. Um, and and I didn't really know any better. I'd never worked for a big firm. I'd never been through the, the kind of serious training, but, um, but we were making money and that's what mattered when you're 21. Um, mm-hmm. So as we kind of, uh, as I, I was introduced to Bill by a few common, uh, common connections and Bill had started this software that was for resolving disputes online. So most people don't know that Audro isn't just a made-up word that stands for Online Dispute Resolution Organisation. Right. So we're talking, <laughs> what, legal disputes? Yeah, so legal disputes. So um, my business partner, Bill, um, was the chief executive of a solicitor's property centre. They took it from eight to 130 staff, something like that. Um, very successful, um, well-known across the kind of Scotland Central Belt, um, a very well-known brand. 2008 hit property market um, took the hit and uh, and there was some kind of uh, interesting legal battles that went on. But Bill, having a, a real keen interest in technology, and he aligned a lot of his successes through in punching above the weight, uh, punching above the weight to uh, technology. So he mm-hmm. said, I'm going to start a technology business, but I want to focus it on resolving disputes online so no one goes through what I just went through in terms of legal battles. Okay. So he formed Audro for the online dispute resolution organisation and uh, and he found a guy on Google to build a system on Concrete 5 um, called Mark down Norwich. So they met, they worked together for a year or so um, and they built this system, this huge system that could, you know, had cases and case notes and chats and live, you know, kind of uh, conversations and all that sort of stuff and it had video on it. And 
I had met Bill, um, as I say, through a couple of common connections that said, look, you need to speak to Bill. I had voiced that I was really struggling in recruitment. You know, I hadn't really found my way. We were kind of very, very hand-to-mouth, feast or famine, perm, you know, perm recruitment business trying to get off the ground. We all know what it's like. Um, and when I met Bill, he showed me this system. And, uh, and a lot of it was just, I, I didn't really agree with a lot of it, but then he said, and this is the video, and you click this link and you're online. And I was like, you, you didn't download anything? You know, this was, this was five years ago, so like, you didn't download anything, there was no password, you just clicked it and it was on, he's like, yeah. And at the moment, the only other alternative was like Skype or GoToMeeting, and it was so cumbersome to get online. Oh. And I was like, oh, wait a minute, this is, this is the Skype killer, this, let me see it. And he said, yeah, and you just press that button to record. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa you can record? <laughs> Hold on a minute, I, I could use this. Uh-huh. I could use this in recruitment from agency. So I spent a bit of time getting to know Bill, and, and you know, he was just a really salt-of-the-earth guy that just had genuine goals, um, real morals and values, and I thought, I could really work with this guy. What people don't know is Bill was 61, 62 at that time. Mm-hmm. Says this, you know, 25, 26-year-old young guy, you know, hungry, hungry sales guy. You just wouldn't put the two of us in the room. So, anyway, Bill and I had a, had a meeting, and actually, one of the things I said was, wait a minute, not only could I use it, I could sell it. Mm-hmm. And I could really enjoy selling this. Um, and trying to find our way. So I asked Bill um, to meet with this subcontractor, Mark, that he'd met online and built the system and kind of uh, that way. And we cut a long story short, agreed to start again, split the company three ways. I would give up everything I had going and uh, and I'll sell it. And that was pretty much the beginning of it. And we, you know, we jumped in video conferencing and, you know, we thought we were going to beat Skype and all that sort of stuff. Mm. But the more that we the more that we kind of explored the market, the more we found that recruitment was missing something like this. Video had been about for so long mm-hmm. that we just felt that the, the best use for this was in recruitment after all. So um, so we just doubled down, got rid of everything else that we were doing and said we can make this the best experience possible for clients, candidates, consultants, okay. and make it specifically for agencies. Okay, great. So, whoa, circling back into recruitment eventually. Um, And it's good to know that you understand what people in recruitment agencies are actually trying to do before introducing um, additional technology. So, video interviewing in all its forms, which we should probably identify just for those of our listeners who aren't so aware, um, has risen quite sharply in the last few years, even though the technology has been around for a long time. So what what do you put that down to? Why is it suddenly becoming so much more important in the industry? So um, I think there's a few factors. It's not just about, you know, innovative companies and, you know, we're all really trying really hard and we've come up with this secret sauce now to make it work. There's a lot of things that weren't ready about the market and even infrastructure. At the time, you know, mobile phones, everyone now has a smartphone. Ten years ago, they didn't. And as much as video interview was around then, the, the ability to get online and actually complete the video interview mm-hmm. was way harder than doing it on the phone or going face-to-face. And what I've learned is until it becomes easy, the new way is easier or much, much more beneficial, it is not going to change. So I believe that infrastructure has played a big part. Smartphones, 4G, all that sort of stuff has now made it a lot more accessible. Um, but also workflow has been a huge um it's been a huge way for um for the new guys like us to, to come up and, and take a big market share. So um the old way was maybe, I don't know, 25, 30 steps to get online and the new guys are, are you know, it's three um for a candidate to get online. So I think the um that's a, a big thing for 
for us how we've got there, mm-hmm. but the the education around the benefits to the client of using video, the benefits to the candidate of using video, which is very important and very often overlooked. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and also the benefits in the agency world for a consultant to use video. And until those three align, it doesn't work. So let's come back to exactly how it benefits clients and candidates yeah. and consultants in a moment. Um, just want to talk about the, the key different forms of video interviewing. So clearly there's, there's live video into where you put your client and your candidate together. Yeah. Um, and let them get on with it, if you like. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you just want to summarise how else people are using the platform? Sure. So um, so you have, as you say, live video interviewing. In a very basic way, you can describe that as like recording a Skype call between the agency recruiter and the candidate. Mm-hmm. The purposes of recording that is then sending it to the client so they get the benefit of watching a, a five to seven minute highlight of the interview to make sure they're worthwhile meeting face to face. So the first version is the, the recruiter interviewing the candidate on a live call. The second is uh, the client interviewing the candidate on a live call which is facilitated by the recruiter. Um, and again, that can be recorded for the recruiter's records if that's if that's helped. Um, but you also have one way or asynchronous video interviewing, mm-hmm. which is typing questions. The recruiter would type questions into the system and then you would send those questions to the to the candidate and Audrey waits a link. They, sit, they click the link and the questions appear on screen and they record those video answers as they appear. So no, no consultant or client needs to be present. Mm, okay. And that's interesting because it's part of a general move that I've observed now to try and structure interviews better, um, to rely less on and it's by no means over, but to rely less on CVs and more on actual um, bespoke questions for the role in question um, and empirical evidence, so things like aptitude tests. Absolutely. um, To remove that sort of unconscious bias that is there in so many recruitment exercises. Um, One question that a lot of people raise about video interviewing, though, is user acceptability from the candidate point of view. So if you are a recruiter, and most of them are um, ones who work in candidate short markets, very often there's a feeling that, oh gosh, if I put another Mm -hmm. hurdle to jump in the way of my candidates, then I'm just going to be making my own life harder and reducing the candidate pool. So um, what are your thoughts on on user acceptability from a candidate point of view? So... Um, if I can just very quickly circle back to it, we call it 3C, and I'm sure every recruiter's heard of the 3Cs and everyone's got their own methodology for 3Cs, but the client, the candidate, and the consultant, they all need to be bought in. So um, we have a statistic that we've gathered from our own data that shows clients, if they take a video interview from an audio, so they take an audio video and it progresses to a face-to-face, mm-hmm. 70% of the time they're deemed hireable by the client if the role is there. They get it 70% of the time. So that's seven zero. Seven zero, right? Wow. Now that is following the methodology of giving the recruiter your first stage interview questions. Mm-hmm. They ask them in a video interview. They submit that back to the client and the client, seven out of 10, will place those because they've found out most of what they want to know in the first stage interview questions. So what we recommend you do is take that statistic to the candidate. If it's a candidate short market, there is a queue at the door of recruiters trying to get that candidate on, but we can now say to them, every other agency is going to throw you in face-to-face interviews because you're such a powerful candidate. 
you're going to get interviews coming out your ears. What we'll do for you, your time is very precious. What we'll do for you is make sure that you do this video and I'm only going to ask you to leave the house if I'm 70% sure you're going to get the job. It's got to be positioned the right way for the candidates. You've got the saving time aspect. If they are a passive candidate, all they're going to ask to be, all they're going to ask to do is, is describe their last, the most recent project seventeen times to every other, you know, every other agency mm. and every other client. And I think that you've got to remember there are benefits to this. It has to be pitched the right way to the candidates to make sure that you're solving their pain, not just your clients. Mm. And that that seventy percent stat alone. I mean, there's another nine or ten. Um, that, that we go through in training, but that 70% stat alone makes it worth the candidate as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and of course, there's the whole issue about taking time off work and travel and preserving a candidate's confidentiality That's it, yeah. that all plays into um, the you know, acceptability to the candidate. But I do still encounter some of my clients, recruitment business owners, who say, mm, maybe in other markets, not my market. <laughs> That's the most so, you know, back at the yeah. turn of the century, it was, oh yeah, that'll be fine for graduate recruitment. <laughs> you know, yeah. you um, still get some of that. Big all those people spend all their time on social media, yeah. they'll be fine, but not for engineers. Yeah. So, have you seen a shift in attitude, or do you think it's just you know, if it's widespread, everybody gets on with it? Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen a shift, but I think it's bias of me to, to talk about has seen the shift. Mm. Gartner released a study earlier this year, I think. Um, I'll, I'll come back on dates, but 84% of candidates across all markets, 84% of candidates expect video to be part of the hiring process. Wow. That's Gartner, that, that's, that's not us. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, um, yeah 84% expect video. So um, it's the, the market has shifted. Um, I think there are um, times, we talked about the different, we call them flavours of video. You know, I think there's a different time and place for each flavour. If you have a passive candidate, you've not really invested much time getting to know them and you send them a link to answer questions on a video without articulating any benefits, yes, you're right. They will go to the guy who doesn't ask them to do any extra steps. Mm. But if you're investing some time in them, finding out more about them, if this role really is right for them, and then saying, look, I've been given the first stage interview questions by the client. If we can record five or seven minutes of this, I can send it over to them and you're only going to leave the house if I'm 70% sure you're getting this. Mm. Your pitch is different than any other recruiter. I think people forget how important it is to stand out to the candidate yeah. rather than standing out just to the client. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. Fascinating statistic there. Yeah. So of that 84% that expect video to be part of the process... Are we looking across all sectors, levels, seniority? Do yeah, you know what the sample was? So I don't know um, for sure. I do know that it was a very generic sample, though. I can't tell you the split of that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll find the link and reference it for the, the listeners. That would be really helpful, thanks. Okay. So let's go back to the other two of the three Cs. Mm-hmm. Um, the better outcomes for candidates and for consultants is yeah. key. So... I work with a lot of businesses who have invested money in new tech, all the bells and whistles, yeah, yeah. Um, and they roll their eyes when you talk to them about video interviewing because it's, and you've probably heard this, yeah, we did that, and it was all very exciting, and but it didn't make any difference to my business yeah. in the long run. So um, what I'd like to talk about now is how to, how to implement into video interviewing as part of your overall service mm-hmm. so that it actually gets better outcomes for your candidates and therefore for the consultants. Yeah. Um, 
rather than being a novelty that costs you a lot of, of downtime yeah. and doesn't take you anywhere. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that we've spoken about before is um, is how recruiters can often um, regard these new, you know, any technological advance as an add-on. And that's sometimes reflected, to my mind, unfortunately, in the way they price it. Mm -hmm. So they say, okay, well, we're charging X percent for our core service, mm -hmm. or you can have this service at X percent plus 2 percent extra. <laughs> yeah. And mm -hmm. I don't know any clients that willingly pay the 2 percent extra. No, they don't. say, well, it's clearly a frill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that. Yeah. Um, don't need. So I think I think looking at pricing structure is something we we should talk about, Absolutely. and and I'd like to hear what from your point of view has worked and not worked amongst your clients. Okay, so um, there's a few facets to that I'll try and cover. The first one um, was talking about taking it on as a as a thrill. Um, so we we go most of the time people use this as a as you're right, as a bolt-on, and they used to charge more money for it. Mm. And it's a very difficult sell to get them to buy into that because then they completely attach a pounds and pence sign to something you're doing for them. And if they disagree that they can, you know, they want to spend that on saving X, then you've lost it. So we recommend that you productize what you do, um, which is something we've been um, kind of evangelizing over for well over 18 months now, um, just because I've seen so much success of the clients that did that off their own back. So the way that we would pitch it, um, the way we recommend to pitch it, I'll just go through that, it's very, it's easy for me to round that off, is mm. we recommend that everyone has three products. In, a, in an agency, you have three products. Now this this was born from the idea that um, only recruiters that have been in the industry for 10 years can sell retained business. The holy grail was everyone working retained business, paid up front, not against anyone else, have got a little bit more time to produce the quality. Um, but the problem was if you'd been in less than 10 years, you couldn't sell it for some reason. Mm -hmm. Now, we drilled down for a long time to find out why that was, and the crux of it was that most consultants didn't believe that what they offered was better than what their competitor offered. They thought they all did the same thing. So why would they pay me any differently or any more or in a retained model because I'm doing the same thing. And that there was the point we had to fix before we sprinkled video on it or anything else. So you have to firstly sit there and say, okay, not 10 years consultant, but you know, graduate just in the door, nine months in recruitment or two years in recruitment, mm -hmm. why are we better than X competitor? And you need to have a very succinct and clear answer to that. And yeah. once you have that answer and you work average 18% fees on a contingent model, that is what you do. You do, you go to the market, you'll find candidates, you'll telephone interview them, possibly meet them, take loads of notes, submit that back in a CV pack to the client over email, that's what you do, and don't worry, Mr. Client, you don't pay me unless I find the right guy. That's what they do day in, day out. Mm -hmm. What we then recommend that you do is have different products so that upsells and downsells are very easy to distinguish between. So we have a, a recruiter and said, yes, I'm going to go to the market. Um, it's 18%, and you don't pay me until you get the guy, and I'll go to the market, find five candidates, I'll interview them, I'll do a telephone interview, I'll keep all the notes and submit that to you, or for the exact same price, I'll do all of that, plus I will take your first stage interview questions. I will ask those candidates your questions in an unedited recorded video interview between five and seven minutes long, and I'll send that back to you so you can share this internally and make sure that you make the right decisions on who to spend your valuable time on face-to-face. 
We don't even charge you any more for this service, Mr. Client. It's the exact same price as our contingent offering. We just ask for some commitment up front of £500 deposit to make sure we can give you all this free stuff. Now, immediately, the client hasn't, isn't doing any more work, but they're getting a much more committed client. Mm. You're getting exclusivity over the role. You're getting a deposit on there. All the benefits that come with a retained role without the difficult third or third or third sell. Mm. And you're not charging any more for video. So if this client is committed to hiring that role, why would they go for the cheaper contingent offering, pip you up against other people? Why wouldn't they see the value in having that recording and only interviewing So in that product, if, yep. if you will, we've got some clearly visible evidence, and that's one of the issues that recruiters have, is that they have no shop window. There's nothing visible yep. about their product. That's that, yeah. But this really helps. Um, that we've got that evidence that the first stage interview, if you will, has effectively been carried out on the client's behalf. Yeah. So that I can see that totally condenses the time to fill yeah. from the, the client's point of view. Is there anything about the nature of the, the video itself that gives clients a better quality hire, do you think? Yes, yeah, so um, I don't know the stats on this. This is very much a... a, a um, a surveying process that we're running just now mm. but on quality of hire which is a, a quite an important me metric that's just coming out now um, quality of hire a lot of uh, hiring managers put it down to the interview process that's why we hired the wrong person because the interview process either wasn't thorough enough mm. or we relied on second-hand information mm. so we tick a box to say Jessica interviewed him and said he was good at this so I don't need to check that the next is culture, and I'm going to agree that he'll fit in the culture. Mm -hmm. But Jessica might disagree with me. And the fact is, we couldn't hear it straight from the horse's mouth, so we have to just rely on each other, and that can uh, impact quality of hire. That might, oh, Jessica got it wrong. But if we had a video to look back on, everyone could see the exact same thing and make judgments and discuss them without having to rely on that. And that in itself is a very fruitful conversation for for many clients, mm -hmm. so they don't, um, all the decision makers in that process very often haven't discussed, well, what do we mean by good communication exactly. skills? Yeah. Uh, and you know, you're, one you're person's writing that. down, great at punctuation, <laughs> and another person saying, you know, charismatic public speaker, <laughs> and at no point have the two of them got together yeah. and um, agreed what the behaviours are they're looking for. So what, what good looks like is what most people are trying to, are coining that as, what does good look like yeah. to you? Yeah. Um, and it's very easy, most people agree the job brief at the start, mm -hmm. but then they don't agree, like there's very loose terms in there. Like mm -hmm. you're talking about, you know, are, you know, are they confident? Yeah. I don't know, you might say someone's confident, and I might say I don't actually think they're that confident. Yeah. So it's, it's very, very fluffy. Yeah, I know, I, uh, exactly. Um, obviously, um, the, the video process where we're using a recorded interview doesn't in itself allow a candidate to have a look at the potential workplace. Um, have you got any ex experience of, of this system being used that way? Uh, yes, so, um, but not necessarily the typical way of, you know, this is where you're going to sit and this is, you know, all that sort of stuff. The best way we've seen this um, being used, because bear in mind, it's, it's used, we still do face-to-face. -face. We'll never replace that and you want to save some stuff for face-to-face -face because there's, you know, there, there's benefit in that. One of the best ways we've seen it used is the, recruit the recruiter interviewing the hiring manager 
recording that conversation and asking questions like, what's it like to work there? You know, um, why are you looking for a graduate? Is that why is that degree so important? Because it's a rare thing to ask for. Mm-hmm. Really, and you know, specific questions to this role, and then use that video to engage passive candidates, but also to show before a face-to-face interview, this is the girl you're going to be working for. Mm-hmm. This is the guy you're going to be working for. You know, th- that's a good indicator on whether or not they're committed to the role. They, you know, they feel quite bought into that person. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, it's a very good way of, of gauging... Yeah, and let's face it, that's what's going on in most first interviews, isn't it, face-to-face, when a client and a candidate first get together in the traditional process. Yeah, it's do I like it's, you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And very little actual structured screening goes on in that interview, yeah, isn't that's it? That. But that's, and again, because we're talking about it being fluffy, that's very easy to waste a lot of time in that stage. It's very easy to sit down and say, oh, actually, the CV look great, but I don't like you. Mm. I don't think you'll get on. I don't think you'll, I think you'll rub her up the wrong way. And, you know, we can't have that. So mm. I, think it's a, um, I think it's a very important and very easy to um, save time at that stage. So actually, that takes us quite neatly to another issue that people have mentioned to me. They say that they are concerned that their clients um, will have a diversity and inclusivity Mm-hmm. Um, issue about using video. Yeah. Now, this is a little bit illogical in my head because you, otherwise they're going to meet someone face to face on the yeah. interview. Um, have you had any issues, or and has anybody raised that as a oh, yeah as an issue over the years? We we struggled with that at the start. If I'm really honest, um, you know they're saying, well, if we put someone in that doesn't fit our you know tick our box at the very start. We've already shown our cards. We're sending anonymized CVs. Now you're sending a video that undoes all that work. Mm-hmm. We're bringing that to the forefront. And it was quite difficult for us to, to really see how we can support the rest of inclusion because we're actually big advocates of it as a company ourselves in terms of hiring, you know, mm-hmm. um, and being a very inclusive business. So we, um, for us personally, the only way we could, we could combat that was to ensure that we put heat maps on the videos. So when we send a video over, we are now one of the only systems that can actually make sure every candidate gets a fair shot at this process. So for example, we can see if a client switches off after five seconds and all they've been able to see is their race or their sex or whatever it is. Uh-huh. And compared to everyone else, we can actually say, well, hold on a minute, of the six candidates, you only watch the men. Why, why was that? You know, we can ve- be very creative in how we present that to the client, but if you're dealing with blue chip clients, one of the things we've had very good responses on is we are, they, are, they become one of the only agencies with diversity and inclusion that are at the forefront of the, of the process. Mm-hmm. Yes, we anonymize CVs. Yes, we do all the things that we already do, but we can also make sure that when we send that person, we put that person visually in front of someone, we can also measure how um, how fair a shot that they got compared to everyone else, which you can't do in face-to-face. Mm, mm. Okay, um, so just tell us a little bit more about these heat maps. What, so I, I'm not sure what our, our listeners will completely understand how they would be used. So, um, okay, from our, our side, then we'll give an example. We have three candidates that we send on an odd row shot list, which shows the three videos straight away. And when the client reviews those videos, we then log into Audro and we can see the heat maps on what the candidate's viewing habits were. So we can see that Sarah, the first three and a half minutes of Sarah's interview are watched eight times and that part of the interview goes red on the graph. But then they maybe switched off after three and a half minutes and left the rest of the interview and that's yellow. So we know there 
that they switched off and they want to know why. So we can go back and review that and try and guess before we've spoken to the client why that was. Mm. Um, we've also got, you know, percentage completed in full. So we've got, you know, three candidates there. Two of them were watched in full, one of them wasn't. Um, the way that most recruiters use that is, let's say, for example, in a real life scenario, we send a developer over and we send three developers over. One of them doesn't present themselves very well, quite scruffy, that sort of stuff. But they are a really good candidate. And as the recruiter, we've spent the time, we've interviewed them, we've met them, mm-hmm. recorded a video, all that stuff. And, uh, and the recruiter, the client watches the video and 10 seconds in goes, oh, I'm not having that guy in my office. Off. Right now, if that's a CV, mm-hmm. you have no control. They just say no. And they'll find a way. Now that you've got this statistics, you can say, well, hold on a minute. I can see they only watched it for five seconds. So you go back and say, Mr. Client, I know Stephen didn't present himself very well at the start, but he has a very, very powerful answer to that fourth question. Would you mind watching that fourth question again for me and let me know what you think of that? Because it's going to really help me in my future search rather than me wasting your time. Mm. And that gets the guy back at the forefront. And if he is as good as you say, you're going to get that interview. Okay, that's a really practical way of helping people around sometimes clients unconscious bias yeah. actually because it's it's a hard deal to call them out on it isn't it so um a little while back i remember you saying in a talk remember this your clients have kpis themselves mm. and headcount ain't one of them yeah, yeah? which true. i thought was really neatly put so very often less experienced recruiters that i meet they're talking about recruitment as if it was a dis- you know, a desirable product or service in itself. Whereas actually, for most clients, it's a distress purchase situation. Um, Or certainly, at best, it's designed to achieve some other purpose, not just to fill a seat in the office. Um, So have you seen people actually relate video interviewing directly to client KPIs in any way? Or can you imagine how they could do that? So let me give an example. I am a, an engineering manager and I'm looking for a, an engineer to work the machines, to build the parts. Mm-hmm. Now that creates a recruitment need. Can't find them myself, I go to the agency. And the agency says, okay, you need this engineer to build these parts. Why? Because we've got this big job on with an aerospace company. Mm-hmm. All right, okay, um, when do you need them in? Yesterday. As they all say, right, okay, fine, so time's really important to you. Okay, fine. I think to speed this process up and get these parts delivered to your client as quickly as we can, we should make sure that we get these answers and candidates back straight away. What we'll do for you is we'll take your first stage interview questions and get that step out of the way for you so we can make sure that guy's working that machine mm-hmm. as soon as we possibly can. That's probably, on the spot here, it's probably is, is how we relate the, the pain of the the recruiters actually to cut that time down and get them into that seat faster. Mm. But the reason they're doing that is because they have this aerospace client they need to get the parts for. And I think if I was back in my recruiter days, I would be building the pain of why those parts need to be built for that agency, not why you you know why you need to tick this box of having a guy in a seat. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So that's a really good example, and I, I couldn't agree more strongly with your point about understand the pain point. Why does this person need to fill a job? Yeah. Not for its own sake, but what is it there to achieve? Because then, obviously, you can always relate the benefits of video interviewing um, to it. Um, and I've certainly come across a number, of, particularly of enterprise clients now, who have um, diversity as a KPI, mm-hmm. um, and bizarrely have interpreted it in a very blunt way, like, I'll get paid a bonus for every woman I hire. Oh, that happened. No, that, I've yeah, seen that before, we've, yeah, we've had examples of that. Um, 
So actually being able to use a structured process is, is really important, I think, in making sure that people are objective rather than subjective and reliant on CVs. Yeah, I think so, me- measurable is the thing I think I would yeah. probably push on to that because diversity, it's, it's, what's the word I'm looking for here? It's, it, it defeats the purpose if you start saying, okay, I want nine women and 11 males. Yeah. It defeats the purpose of diversity. It's not about the, the hard numbers, therefore it's very difficult to measure, yeah. but at least from what we're trying to do, at least if we can make sure everyone gets a fair crack and whoever got the job got it on merit, not on you know, their skin colour or, or you know, their, their sex or their religion or anything like that. Mm. That's what diversity to me is all about. It's mm. not about the, you know, we need more women or we need more men. It's about who's the best for the job and why and make sure that women, men, everything else get the same shot at the job. Right, and that that is assessed, though, by their ability in, uh, you know, actually in interview and behaviourally rather than their CV history. So I found myself saying this a lot recently. We are in the business of finding candidates for our clients, not purveying CVs. Um, And I found the language that an awful lot of recruiters use, you know, by default is, yes, Mr. Client, Miss Client, I will go get you some CVs instead of presenting candidates. And and where that goes back to is that very often, unfortunately, they have nothing to say about that candidate beyond what's on their CV. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Reading a CV out over the telephone to a client doesn't doesn't add a great deal of value. Part of that. The one of the things I just wanted to um, to cover on that is when people say that you know, unfortunately, I believe the contingent payment model has driven such competition. Mm-hmm. And the comp- so I get why contingent payment models were there. It was very safe for a client to say, look, it's a big fee. I'm not sure I want to pay that right now because I'm not sure you can find the person I'm looking for. I'll pay if you get them. And you know what? That's actually fine if you're the only person doing it. Mm. The problem arises when you throw five other agencies in that pot and you then all have to fight against each other. And if you're putting five agencies in the pot for one role, four agencies aren't getting paid for six weeks' work. I just think it's unethical. But when you talk about CV selling, the contingent payment model has driven down quality, which means all they can afford to do is sell you CVs and just find a CV, read it over the phone and give you it. And that, in essence, that's where this whole mission came from of we need to stop doing that. We need to start being paid and... Um, you can't be paid for selling CVs. People think you want a retainer from selling a CV, you're wrong. Mm. But if your client is watching back a video of your recruiter interviewing the candidate, and one of the questions is, shown the guy that's not techie that owns a tech company, but let's say one of the questions to the developer is, so what do you think of the JavaScript framework? And the recruiter asks the question, the candidate goes, yeah, it's good. And the recruiter goes, I'm sorry. Could you elaborate a bit more on that for the client, please? When the client watches that back, they go, yes, that's a recruiter recruiting for me, screening out people, not wasting my time, not selling me CVs. He's doing his job or she's doing her job. And that means so much more to a client in terms of value, which means when that next job comes up, they're not going to go, yeah, but that big guy's doing it for 12% because they don't want to buy CVs anymore. You've shown them the light, you've shown them what a recruiter should do. Mm. And that's where you start getting longevity with your clients. And that's another benefit of... I've used video. Sorry, I go on. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great stuff. Okay, so um, let's talk practical. Mm-hmm. I work with lots of companies who want to differentiate themselves in what's, let's face it, in the UK, is a very crowded market. Yes. And so they will make an investment in 
something like Audro or some other tech um, or methodology, doesn't really matter what it is, and then it doesn't transform the business. So let's talk very practically about implementation because we are an industry that's full of great ideas, not terribly good at implementation. Yeah. Um, We... Again, it was something over the years we had to find our way because we had, in the early days, poor implementations, sold it. Yeah, the tech works, so move on. We had to take it on our shoulders to make sure people used it and used it the right way. Mm. Um, And the biggest lesson we learned over the years, which we use now today, every day, when we say, okay, you've purchased that, what is your success criteria? What does this need to have produced in three months, in six months, in 12 months for you to class this as a success? And if they don't know, they can't buy it. If they're, oh, well, well, I've seen video is the next thing, so we just need to get video. Wrong answer. We, it won't work. You will not renew with us. And we need to understand a bit more. The, the benefit might be that, you know, your fill rate's one in four because all your jobs are contingent. Mm-hmm. Okay, we should be changing that fill rate to three in four or, you know, at least 50%. Let's let's change the you know t- turn the dial on that a little bit and let's talk about winning jobs that we can sprinkle some added value on mm-hmm. and start winning some retain. So that you know the the problem has to the problem has to, a problem has to be solved with video or any other tech. So I think that when you're buying technology or methodology or you're making an investment in your business, um, understand what the success criteria is and what the pounds and pence attached to that success criteria are. Mm-hmm. For us, it's okay, you know. We want to win another 10 retainers in three months. Okay, how much is your average fee? Seven grand. 70 grand in three months? Yes, sir. No problem. We have a direct measurable. And that's how we know the client will be happy with what we do. Uh-huh. Um, but without that, when we tried to implement, it didn't work because we would get these wins and then go, yeah, that's great. Oh, I want more. Of course you want more. Of course you want more. I want more. But that, that was where we, we started to struggle. So the first thing was uh, to make sure the success criteria is there and then... Put the put the staff behind it correctly. So, for example, if your um your success criteria is to win ten retainers, and you put okay, we're just going to try it, and you pick five guys that are you know already you've not removed any work from their plate. You've put something else on their plate and said, by the way, make this work because if you guys make it work, I'm going to roll it out to everyone. Mm-hmm. Well, hold on a minute. That's a half-hearted attempt at trying to get something properly committed. Mm-hmm. If you're not ready to buy it, don't buy it. Set the success criteria, put the right people behind it, and commit to a period of time to roll it out properly. Accept that nothing sticks first time, and make sure that you, when there is, if something goes wrong, you have a, a way to, to, to mitigate it, which is something we built pretty well, I think, actually, in the last, maybe a year ago, we built this new implementation plan to solve that problem. Um, make sure that, okay, what happens if this happens? What happens if this goes really well, but that one doesn't? How do we share success stories? How do we share problems that we've then solved? So we've got WhatsApp groups. Mm-hmm. So like, okay, we've committed to the company, 250 staff rolling this out everywhere. Great, we create pods. We have a pod of 30, they're in a WhatsApp group. Pod of 20, they're in a WhatsApp group. Mm-hmm. And for Audro, it's live by the sword, die by the sword. It's mm-hmm. okay. If there's a problem, it goes in that group chat. If there's a success, it goes in that group chat. Mm. And that way we can get this tribal mentality of everyone's behind it and the people who don't think it'll work see someone else making a success of it. Mm. Okay, well, it must work. Give it a go. Yeah. And and alongside that, the um, actual training support for people to incorporate it into their 
sales pitch, actually integrate it rather than it being that add-on is critical, isn't it? I've seen tens of thousands of pounds wasted with very expensive CRM switchovers, uh-huh. is a good example. Yeah. And the CRM companies provide support to the extent of, here's a video of how you perform the key functions on our yeah. CRM. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> and actually the piece of work that hasn't been done is, is the business discussing how we're going to use these codes, what are the um, processes that we want to drive through our new CRM. And yeah. um, that's time consuming, but it's critical as, by way of investment, isn't it? So talking about CRM, for example, um, one of the things that really helps with, it's not directly in the implementation, but what really helps is bring in someone who uses a CRM day in, day out, not you. So for me, we've just, we're just moving over to Salesforce. Mm-hmm. And for us, I had to get the guys who input the data to, to do the demo, to put our data in the demo, look at it and say, does this feel good? Mm-hmm. Will you use this? If you won't use it, tell me now, because I'm going to invest a lot of money in this mm-hmm. and it's, it's you and your team that's going to use it. But not managers, not you know, directors, not all that, because whether we like it or not, we are detached from the day-to-day working. Mm-hmm. So something that really helps implementation is before you buy it, make sure that people who are going to use it day-to-day have seen it and agree that this is going to be a benefit to them. What do you think about um, making it a KPI to use or sell the the, serv- the new service? We, I like it, um, because it depends how committed the business is to change however for example um i'm sorry i relate this back to audio but it's just because it's all i know so when i'm talking about this kpi for example we send sales videos out mm-hmm. so instead of a cold call you'd send a personalized video but if you're adding a kpi you need to take something away so don't say make 100 calls and now do 25 videos say no make 75 calls now mm-hmm. and replace those with 25 videos um and then it's Audro or you know any other CRM's job to say by doing it this way, it's our job to make sure you feel comfortable and you see the benefits in making that change. So um, I agree with it, but I think if you're adding something, you need to take something away because your team's already busy. It's a good point. Yeah. So what's your thoughts on a practical implementation? What what a successful implementation looks like? Um, so I absolutely agree with you about having a clear view of what the business issue is we're trying to solve here. So you gave the example of um, increasing your fill rate, I think, and it might be that for other recruitment businesses it's about taking them into a more senior market, or it might be that they actually want to increase their average fee percentage, something along those lines. But that's a really important starting point, communicating that to the whole business. And then I think essential is supportive training. So it's actually harder with more experienced people. So, you know, they, they generate good revenue. Yeah. They're probably earning a good whack and they're in a, you know, they're on a, a treadmill where they rehearse the same conversations, use the same phrases to yeah, win business. 10 years, it's easy to revert to type. Exactly, yeah. So it's harder to change established people's um, modus operandi than, than it is to give new people a brand new whole product if you will um so that training needs to it's not a one-hit wonder is it it needs to be ongoing refresher refresher and i think um a couple of things you can add to that depending on what you're introducing one is we already mentioned making it a kpi as long as we're not overcrowding them with just more work quote unquote um second visual prompts to remind people things in their eye line 
that will remind them of, for example, key statistics. The statistic you quoted earlier about 84% of um, candidates now expect video to be part of the process. If that was in my eyeline while I'm talking to a client, I'm much more likely to use it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, repeat, repeat, repeat. Always a good uh, message for recruitment business owners. Um, if I had a pound for every owner that said to me, I don't understand it. I've told them. Why aren't they doing it? So um, keep repeating. Use stats and backup information. Consider creating a new KPI. Um, but above all, train people. Reinforce. Change is hard. Um, particularly when you've got to keep a revenue stream going all the time. Um, and it's up to managers to make sure that whatever you've taught people in a training session about that new product, initiative, service, is actually implemented at the desk. So let's just move beyond video interviewing now, um, partly driven by the, the very competitive nature of the, the UK recruitment industry, but let's face it, it's competitive everywhere. Yeah. Um, video interviewing is part of for some businesses, it's part of differentiating their offering, mm-hmm. yeah. And selling that successfully isn't about I've got this, yeah. you know. It is here's about a here's, a, here's a way we can help you, Mr. Client, meet your objectives better. Um, blue sky thinking now. What? Do, how do you see the the recruitment industry stroke market stroke requirements developing over, let's say, the next five years? Let's leave aside all the known unknowns of Brexit and so forth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, I think everyone jumps on the bandwagon of tech. Right? And as a tech re- recruitment technology business owner, I should jump up and down and say, tech's going to change the, the industry and everyone needs to be on tech. That's a given. right? People know that technology makes jobs easier or adds value here and there. But and automation's everywhere now, right? Chatbots, AI, all that sort of stuff. And yes, that will play a part. But I think um, I think going back to basics, as, as counterintuitive as this sounds, I think going back to basics and starting again for recruiters to become more valuable to clients and candidates in non-traditional ways is, what's, is the way I see the industry going because they have no other option. So, for example, we are saying productize. Go back to basics, understand why you're different, find ways to be more valuable. Um, you, know, you might want to say that you're more valuable because you save them time fine you might also say you're more valuable because you build an employer brand and build a talent pipeline or all these things that are coming out um i think you need to get creative with where you add value um from a, from a personal point of view um so creating new methodologies and investing in your people um rather than the technology that powers your people is going to become more and more important mm-hmm. um if you are spending um, I don't know how I would ratio this, but between technology and training, constant training, the best businesses I've worked for and worked with, with Audro, are constantly training their teams, constantly learning new things, and the people who are buying Audro and are relying on Audro to make them better mm. are the ones that don't train their team. And then they go, why are you getting beat by this company around the corner? Mm. And I know the answer. It's because that guy, the, that guy or girl on the other side of the fence is constantly learning, hungry to get better, understands the client more, is immersed in the candidate market, mm. knows their specialism and can fight on that. So I think where the market's going, everyone will get much, much more targeted in what they recruit. So they'll become niche market specialists, mm. but true 
niche market specialist with candidates. Um, and I believe tech, you will, everyone will be forced to go down the technology route, but the ones that are going to come out top are the ones that invest in their people just as much. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think we'll also see, um, and it's just, it's not going to be an overnight shift by any means, but I think we're already beginning to see a shift away from using CVs as the sole tool for recruitment, um, looking for more objective methods of assessing candidates for a particular job. So I, I've got a, quite a strong view that CVs won't, in my lifetime, I don't think this CV or the idea of a CV will be replaced because of the advancement of technology is the ability to screen the CV, right? It's really, it's, it's there now. Mm. Screen the CV and only bring the CVs that you like the look of and then progress them to a video for us or a face-to-face, whatever, that's fine. Um, the next step is where I see it being a bit further away where you, you we could we could switch on AI tomorrow on video. There's there's companies out there, we don't even need to build it. There's companies out there we can plug into now who have got an integration that we can say, now we analyze all the micro expressions in the faces of your candidates. The problem is we are still, at least in my view, 10 years away from trusting that. And because recruit, yeah, I have to work with this person every day, I'm not gonna trust the computer picked the guy that I like over the girl that I didn't. I'm still, in 10 years, I'm not going to trust that. So as much as it will play a part, it won't make the decision. Mm-hmm. And it's the same way with video, video interviewing, over telephone interviewing, until it becomes easier or much more valuable, I'm not going to switch. So for me, I think AI will play its part, for example, but CVs will be screened automatically, narrowed down to a shortlist, it will then progress to a video, but the AI and the measurement of the facial expressions and everything probably won't be trusted for at least another 10 years. And then it will start to cut that process down even more. I wonder if, in fact, CVs will only be brought in at the later stages of the process and we'll start looking more at behaviours um, and how people answer screen, screening questions for a job at an earlier stage. Would you? Do you have the... Um, would you have the CV as part of the application process, but like the human doesn't look at that, or well, you just wouldn't have it? I, I think ultimately, um, probably we could be in a position where we're talking probably beyond beyond my retirement date anyway, <laughs> uh, before that happens. Okay, Ryan, it's been fascinating talking to you. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, at the beginning of this. Um, broadcast, Ryan said he thought that our listeners might need subtitles. I hope that hasn't <laughs> over, been the case. Over spoken slowly. Very enough. interesting talking to you. Uh, Ryan's the CEO of Odro. Thanks for joining us. And for our listeners, this has been the Recruitment Leadership Podcast um, Season 3. I'm Alison Humphreys, and thanks for being with us. You've been listening to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, review, and share so that others can find the podcast too. We really appreciate your support. If you have any questions about the topics covered or wish to find out more about recruitment leadership, please email alison at recruitmentleadership.co.uk referencing the podcast. We're also on LinkedIn where you can follow recruitment leadership and connect with Alison Humphreys. Thank you for listening and we hope you join us next time for another episode of the Recruitment Leadership Podcast.